Welcome to the 435th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thanks for listening. It is officially summer here in Southwest Florida. Humidity is nice and high, so I've got my own sauna going for my training. Next up, July 8th, the Silver Rush 50-mile race in Leadville, Colorado. Dig deeper, go home. So training's going pretty good. Uh, took a little time off to go celebrate Caleb's third birthday in Texas, so we ran while we were there. Um, but back to pulling the tire, running up hills on the treadmill, no hills in Florida. So I put the treadmill up to 15 and see how far I can walk a mile, mile and a half. So I'm trying to get some vertical in every day. Um, I've also added my um, running vest with some cornhole bean bags inside. So I'm gradually adding weight. I added two the first time. I'm going to, I guess I finally looked them up. I should have looked them up beforehand, but they're only a pound a piece. So uh, I got to put a little bit more weight in the vest, but I did feel it uh, running six miles. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, so that adds a little bit of um, challenge. And of course, the humidity is supposed to transfer um, as an altitude type of adjustment. Well, we'll hear. Um, I'm excited to have some people coming over this weekend that have actually run the Leadville 50 and 100 mile race. So I'm hoping to get some pro tips and uh I don't think they can scare me any more than I'm afraid of already, but um, we'll see. We'll see. So we traveled to Texas for a three-year-old birthday party, and we had um, well, actually Addie uh, put on the birthday party. I was just a, a visitor and uh, extra hands on deck, but um, we were the only plant-based people at the party, Addie's family and Nunny and I and Michael. Uh, everybody else was regular standard American diet, um, but it went off quite quite well. We had, she had, chocolate and vanilla cupcakes with plant-based uh, frosting, cowboy caviar, which was a very big hit. Even people wanted to take some home. They had hummus and uh, salsa and pimento loaf. I'll actually put the uh, reference. It's not my recipe, but I'll share the recipe that, that I used online. We actually use sunflower seeds because um, uh, it does call for some cashews and or sunflower seeds, but we use the sunflower seeds because of a child with nut allergies. So everybody liked that. And uh, a giant fruit bowl uh, made in watermelon. So everybody, uh, fun, had, fun time had by all. Something, I guess, you could say for everybody. And... Uh, of course, there was uh, the key, uh, there was a bounce house, so that uh, made everybody happy and lots of water so uh, to splash around in, so that, that made for a great, great third birthday party. We went to church while we were there, um, and at the church they had donuts before the service and a barbecue for new people after the service. Uh, we did not partake in either of those events, but... Um, you know, uh, it's a little odd. Oh, I forgot to, I forgot one thing. Uh, Addie also had Uncrustables made with sunflower butter and jelly for the kids. So she um, made them into shapes and froze them the night before, then thawed them. And so they were a big hit with the kids and the adults. So if you have, you're looking for lunch ideas or birthday party ideas, that was a great hit. 
Um, but anyway, back to church. Um, they even made a reference, uh, Corinthians 6.19, to uh, the body being a temple um, hosting the Spirit of God. And that wasn't exactly... Um, the, the message of the day wasn't what I took away from it. In some, you know, my interpretation of that was um, if this is a body given to us by God, then we should take care of it and um, spirit, mind, and body, so to speak. And so I kind of liken that to eating healthy, um, but that didn't necessarily get messy, it didn't get brought up in the, in, the, in the sermon of the day. It was actually a very, very, very good church service. I'm not taking anything away from it, but um, again, I still am intrigued by why most churches can't offer healthy food or be healthy or encourage healthy behavior. Uh, because again, I think if you're if you're eating healthy, you're, you're more likely to feel better uh, emotionally and spiritually as well. Um, but that's just one cardiologist take on things. Had a few interesting uh, experiences uh, this week in the office to share. I have a couple of people, and I, I kind of alluded to it on a previous podcast, that are doing a very restrictive plant-based diet. So basically fruit, very limited grains, if any, uh, mainly a potato in the evening, and um, raw salad for lunch, and steamed vegetables in the evening. And this uh, nutritional plan has been uh, has worked well for me in a variety of different settings throughout my plant-based physician career. Um, and it's somewhat like um, if you've heard of the rice diet or uh, the diet made famous by Walter Kempner. Uh, Walter Kempner was a physician uh, that worked at Duke University and used to take in the rich and famous of the 1940s that were in heart failure and kidney failure, and he would put them on a diet basically of fruit, fruit juices, even sugar and vegetables, steamed vegetables, um, and white rice, amounting to about 2,000 calories a day and about 150 milligrams of sodium, so very salt-restrictive, not horribly caloric-restrictive, and the people lost weight and their kidney function um, markedly improved, their heart failure went away, uh, their diabetes got under control, and then they would go back on their merry way, and when they um, get in trouble again, they would come back and do this restrictive diet. And back in the 40s, there wasn't much else, you know, as far as medication, so you either kind of figured this out nutritionally or you died. So I have taken um, a, a form of the Kempner diet for my own practice and used it in patients with end-stage heart failure um, and chronic lung disease. I've used it for end-stage liver failure, um, and it's worked very, very well. Um, and most recently, I've used it for people, a couple of people that have had a difficult time losing weight um, that have had a variety of cardiac conditions as well, um, but just couldn't quite um, get their weight loss jump started, um, despite you know trying every you know so supposedly being plant based. Um, but as you may have encountered, becoming plant based if you weren't much of a cook to start with 
is pretty difficult. So a lot of people are very much out of their comfort zone when it comes to putting vegetables together or um, what to eat when, menu planning, and so forth. And um, it's very difficult for people not to grab a bite of this or grab a bite of that. But this has worked out really well for the most part, and people lose weight steadily if they follow it. Um, most of the time, it allows people to recognize just how much they were grabbing this and that in the past. Um, you know, the one person described as making dinner for her grandkids and grabbing, you know, uh, their food and then continuing to eat it or grabbing a bite of this or bite of that when they went out. So they really weren't sticking to a plant-based diet. Um, a lot of processed food, junk food would creep in bite here or bite there, but enough that their weight loss was stymied. So we had an episode this week that a lady had been doing very well following this dietary plan, uh, so much that she was starting to have um, somewhat of hypoglycemic type episodes. And so if somebody is borderline diabetic or has metabolic syndrome, they typically produce too much insulin for um, the amount of food that they take in, specifically carbohydrate. And so when the carbohydrate starts to go into their cells, then the insulin um, kind of overshoots the runway, so to speak, because there's so much insulin that they actually go lower than what their body can, can adjust for. And, and probably it has to do a little bit with uh, the liver not being as responsive as it should be to producing glucogen, so, or to producing glucose from glycogen. The liver stores about 200 calories of glycogen. The uh, muscle store about 2,000 calories of glycogen. So we have plenty in our system for a couple days of fasting. So if you were to go on a water fast, your glucoses would, you know, stabilize around 60 or 70, the normal person, and you would not feel hypoglycemic. But people that are borderline diabetic have such wide swings in their sugar, and they tend to kind of hang out at that 140 uh, or maybe even 200 range right after eating. So when they drop down to that 60 or 70, they get kind of weak, dizzy, diaphoretic, even a little bit, or fatigued, and they have something to eat. Um, and so when we put people on this very clean diet, fruit, steamed vegetables, raw, you can imagine that it's absorbed so easily that the insulin just overshoots the runway and they can get hypoglycemic if they're, um, if they, you know, are about to skip a meal or they're getting close to a meal. And so this is what happened to one of the people in the practice this week. She went out to, um, you know, a local uh, big box store with her sister, um, you know, a place called BJ's. It was kind of a Costco type place. And, um, they went out at lunch, or right before lunch. So she was kind of finishing, you know, you could see that she was probably burning through her morning uh, fruit. And we used to have people eat fruit for breakfast, uh, maybe some chia, and a tablespoon of chia and flaxseed, um, but all the fruit that they want. So again, it's very easily to absorb. So at 11 o'clock, she'd pretty much burn through her fruit uh, and her blood sugar was probably on its way down. Normally, if she'd have been home, she would have had her lunch. But instead, they went to BJ's to go food shopping, and she started to feel lightheaded. Um, so this is when the problem was soon. So she's in this big store uh, full of all kinds of food, and because she's having symptoms, she grabs a prepared chickpea salad, 
her bean salad off the, you know, off the shelf, and that's what she has um, to kind of rescue her glucose. She thought she was making a good choice because it was beans, but the reality of it is it was full of oil as well, uh, very processed as far as the dressing goes. And, and that's what happens with a lot of dressing. So any store dressing that you buy uh, typically has a bunch of hidden oils in it, and that's really what causes the problem. So when people buy the bag salads, they only had salad for um, lunch, but they use the dressing that comes in the little bag. Um, they've, they've, you know, ramped up the calories to four or 500 calories, plus a lot of that calories are from fat. So they're, they might even have a salad that it's over 60% fat by the time they put the dressing on. So hence, back to this lady, she has the bean salad with a bunch of oil. She feels better. She takes the salad home with her, and she continues to eat the salad because, you know, you don't want to waste the salad. I'm sure it was expensive. Um, and she still managed to lose a pound for the two weeks, but again, her weight went up after that. So she had lost more, and then um, she, you know, retained some fluids, probably a little salty, but she also, um, you know, her weight loss was stifled, so to speak. Um, and she regretted it, um, but she didn't regret it enough not to finish the salad, so she was still eating it, when she, and she still had some and was probably planning on eating the rest of it until I kind of nixed that when she came to the office. And it's like, well, the question was, why didn't you buy fruit? You were there because they sell fruit. I didn't think of that. And to me, it seems obvious. You know, you have fruit available someplace. You're on a diet of fruit and vegetables. You either, you know, get some produce and get some fruit, go to the car and eat that if you're having an issue, or you go home. Um, and I have reassured her in the past that, you know, again, if you sit down, most uh, your glucose doesn't continue to bottom out. Things, your, your body will um, adjust. And part of the problem is when you're starting to walk and exert yourself, especially if you're not in good condition, again, your muscles start to use glucose more readily, and that helps to drop your insulin as well. Um, so that's how, uh, again, people that have diabetes go for a walk, they have better glucose control because their muscles are more efficient at using glucose when, and when they're exercising and after they've exercised. So she was on the way down. She did some exercise walking in the store, dropped her glucose, and then had uh, beans with oil and uh, righted the ship, but stymied her weight loss. Um, so again, uh, an alternative would have been fruit and raw vegetables to fix things up or nothing and just kind of sit down and let her heart rate come down and, and rest. Um, but if you wanted to keep up or if you were with somebody else, then you know, grabbing some fruit would have been the, the best idea. And he's like, well, again, that seems like a no-brainer, but it's a no-brainer to people that are very comfortable in eating plant-based or that are very comfortable in eating unprocessed. It took her out of her um, zone, so to speak, of what she's capable of troubleshooting um, on a regular basis. And that is what happens to a lot of people when they fail at uh, plant-based nutrition, both from a weight loss standpoint and uh, a success with their glucose or blood pressure. They get into a situation where they're hungry. They don't think there's anything else to eat. There's nothing else for me to eat. And they make a choice, which they think is better than what they would have in the past. Probably it is but it's not good enough to cause them from derailing. Um, and then you have to make up for, for that. Um, so it's, 
it kind of comes back to it. You're good at something. It doesn't take a lot of um, brain power to do things that you're good at. But when you're not good at something, you have to think a lot more about it and pay a lot more attention to detail. People talk about being in the zone. Um, I used to be a golfer. Um, you know, when you're really on your golf game, you swing, it's very fluid. You don't really have to think about anything. Sometimes I would think about one thing, even to the point where, where my little finger was on the grip. And if I only thought about one little thing for that round, typically I would have a great golf game. But if I started thinking about, you know, different planes of the club and where my feet were and all these different things, then the next thing you would know, I would start to make mistakes and uh, my round would suffer because I was trying to change or adjust or play with too many things. I would not be in the zone. Um, people that are professional athletes, typically they do the same thing over and over. They don't have to think about the process of uh, you know, the golf swing or hitting a ball or whatever it is that they do. They don't think about the nitty-gritty. It's the, the, the big picture they're allowed to think about or the creativity, but they don't have to think about the minute things. If you're new to plant-based eating, you have to think about the minute details of things. And it's very easily to get tripped up by marketing companies that are trying to fool you, either with the labels saying, oh, there's only four grams of fat in this, but there's only 80 calories per serving, so four grams of fat times nine calories per gram is 36, and there's 40 calories, it's almost all fat. But the number four grams doesn't seem that bad, so it's easy to justify, well, there's only four grams of fat, how bad could it be? Because uh, most people have heard that 35 grams of fat a day is, uh, you know, or 30%, it's, it's allowable, so to speak, not necessarily. But, um, uh, you know, that's an easy justification, can get people off their game. So um, it wasn't that this person, you know, was trying to um, get into trouble. It was just that they're not that good at troubleshooting. And that is the whole aspect of why people aren't successful um, in, like, either weight loss or, or getting getting their diabetes under control or getting their blood pressure under control because they go along and if everything's under control, they're good. And so I have people that eat the same thing every day and it's like, yeah, you need to get more variety. No, I like the same thing. And they eat the same thing every day, but when they get out of their comfort zone, they have to do something different. They're traveling or they're, you know, unexpected events come up. Then they fall um, off the plan because they don't know how to troubleshoot. Because as long as things are going along that one way, it's okay. But they don't have any other avenues. Um, it's 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 kind of like having you know a different plays in your game book. Um, you have to have more than one play to be able to be successful. Uh, but you have to be able to execute them and and know how to troubleshoot. And so that's where the practice of eating plant based comes in. Um, and we try to help people to navigate some of those areas of trouble, um, both by our in-class lectures and, and going shopping with people, because especially the shopping trips, I, I, I think people find very helpful because there's so many things out there that um, seem good, um, but, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. I also, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've been practicing medicine, um, cardiology since I was 20, 
9:28, uh, finished my uh, residency and fellowship, and I've you know I'm getting to the point where I've seen a lot of things come and go. And one of the things that is um, one of the first things that I noticed with the practice of medicine was um, the decrease in the quality practice when we went to electronic medical records. Um, it was thought it was going to be a great thing that doctors' offices and hospitals and everybody else could communicate better. Um, there wouldn't be any medication errors because doctors write poorly, so if everything's typed, it would be better. You'd need less personnel because doctors could put in their own orders and you wouldn't need unit clerks and you wouldn't have to worry about people doing dictations of their chart. People would stay up to date because it, was, it would be easier to be on a computer. Um, and that couldn't have been, for, it would be easier for um, the government to assess how well practice was, were doing. They could, Medicare would reward uh, physicians' practice that had charts that contained um, um, the right information, so to speak. You know, did you take time? Uh, to educate people on diet and exercise and are they up to date on their immunizations and are they up to date on their uh, screening procedures and so you get points for that and so it would uh, encourage physicians to click the boxes and do the right thing. But just as humans are uh, physician humans as well as everybody else humans, people cheat. And so they didn't do anything different as far as the practice, but they would click the box in order to get the reimbursement for um, the time spent. So quickly people learned to get around the system, uh, cut and paste. Um, so charts went from being a personalized medical record of um, somebody's personal story and how it came to be and their medical history and them as a person, it became more of a uh, electronic uh, identification of disease processes. And the beauty of medicine was lost. Uh, it became drop-down menus on how to treat people, suggestions, you know, then you would put pharmacy suggestions. And so people stopped thinking. Uh, it just became uh, a protocol. And then, uh, you know, we added in uh, ancillary healthcare providers that had less training to follow the drop-down protocol. And now... Uh, published today was a study on an artificial intelligence application uh, and complaints about uh, the um, incorrect information and sometimes dangerous uh, information that these uh, artificial intelligence apps were giving. So most of you that have been on a computer or on a website, you know, you see these pop-up screens with... Uh, uh, typically a young person um, in the little picture of them and how high can I help you and, you know, tell me a little bit about you. I had a similar experience when I was trying to get my landline fixed for my telephone. You know, it's all about chat. You can't really talk to a person. And so you have this artificial intelligence person. You're not really sure whether it's a real person, uh, an artificial intelligence person, um, because they don't really have to say um, so they have, there is one for uh, a weight loss, a um, obesity clinic. Um, so you get this program that goes through and troubleshoots. People put in their symptoms and, and it kind of spits out a diet, kind of spits out weight loss tips and suggestions. And, you know, turns out, um, again, one size doesn't fit all. So people with an eating disorder 
um, given certain suggestions, might be very lethal for them um, or unhealthy for them if they were to take these suggestions. And, and it did occur uh, taking suggestions that you know actually made things worse than, instead of better. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that when you know you type in your symptoms and you're given a diagnosis. Um, you know, it used to be people tease about WebMD. You know, you go in there and you research, but you don't even have to research now. And a lot of times, the, again, the artificial intelligence um, app is only as good as the answers that it's been given. Um, it doesn't take into, you know, again, the person has to type in the correct information. And medicine is still an art. Um, you know, I always tease my mother's one of the worst historians ever, because if you ask her questions about um, if she has a health issue, she wants to give you the right answer. She wants to, she wants to interpret things as she's giving the right answer, but you're not necessarily given the um, best symptoms because she kind of twists them, not, you know, not because she's trying to trip somebody up, but she, she, she try, she's trying to give the better answer. And the artificial intelligence uh, applications will only work if you give you know, short, good answers that are very specific. And most people aren't that specific when it comes to their symptoms. My shoulder hurts. Um, could mean that you've torn your rotator cuff or that you're having a heart attack. It depends on the context. You know, what does the pain feel like? It just hurts. It's dull. It's knife-like. It's, you know, very severe. I'm in excruciating pain. You know, uh, the difference between being injured and being sore can be very difficult to interpret uh, depending on someone's symptoms. So, you know, I just, it just, we're just going down a slope. And of course, most of these um, applications are aimed at then prescribing a medication. So people would be prescribed medication, um, you know, for presumed symptoms and then, you know, wait to see whether or not, I guess it works or they get better. Um, Luckily, most things kind of sort out on their own, but you can imagine some bad things happening as well. The last study that I kind of stumbled across was um, reported in Nature magazine, and the headline was, Does Shingles Vaccination Cut the Dementia Risk? A large study hints at a link. And the top uh, sentence after that is 300,000 people um, there is an association between the shingles jab and a lower rate of dementia. Sounds like a breakthrough. Um, sounds like a reason for everybody to go out and get a shingles vaccination. Um, shingles, is to pre uh, shingles vaccination is to prevent reactivation of chickenpox that lingers in our nerves. Um, and, you know, it's um, typically given to older people who are most at risk for uh, reactivation, mainly because um, your immunity starts to wane over as you get older. And so the ability to keep the chickenpox um, virus at, you know, down in the nerve cells and not raise its rear its ugly head, so to speak, uh, is a matter of how good your immune system is. So if someone's stressed or they have, you know, their uh, cancer or Again, to get older, their risk to shingles, or they have some other autoimmune disease or some other offending medication, they can get shingles. So the question was, um, does 
the shingles vaccine uh, help with dementia? And basically what happened was they looked at uh, people under 80 um, that got the vaccination, uh, shingles vaccine in Wales. And they did hospital records, 296,600 people. And they looked at who was vaccinated and there seemed to be a lower insulence incidence of, um, of dementia in those who, who got the shingle vaccination. However, um, the problem was most of the difference occurred in the first four years after the vaccine and it was not significant for men, only for women. So it raised a question about um, what the difference or the discrepancy was and um, whether or not this was just a chance finding. But again, it was, you know, really pushed as, you know, we found the cure, so to speak. Um, it's interesting that the virus affects neurons. That's why um, when you get shingles, it's always in a dermatome, a peripheral nerve. So um, you never get shingles on both sides of your body at the same time. It's in a specific dermatomal pattern and nerve line. Um, and it only occurs in one spot, but it could be, you know, anywhere that there's a nerve. Dementia is obviously a central nervous system issue. Um, you know, whether there's an immune association or not, it's hard to tell. And then it goes back, you know, well, who should get the shingles vaccine? And, you know, it turns out it's, it's probably 50% effective, 40 to 50% effective at best. Um, the studies on the side effects of the shingles vaccine only were carried out 42 days um, officially. The VAERS reported data post-marketing showed more defects, including, you know, some cases of Guillain-Barre and other nerve issues and, and various other side effects. Um, the study wasn't uh, performed on people that were immunocompromised or pregnant. So again, you know, it's another vaccine study that was not really well done to start with. So we have a vaccination that um, my fear is that, again, get your vaccination, get your vaccination, but exactly what are we treating? And could we do better by uh, making the person's immune system better? I see a lot of physicians making reference on, you know, there's, a, there's a, actually a, a large portion of the medical community that's not plant-based and makes reference that, you know, being plant-based is extreme. Um, and they eat more of an omniferous diet, you know, that they eat uh, some fish and organic free-range, you know, meat and so forth. Um, but the question comes, if you're going to improve your immunity or improve your health, where does that come into? We know that fresh fruits and vegetables are the way to let the body heal. So when you start putting that into the equation, meat and other things that you assume are grown or prepared in a um, safe way. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not always the case. Um, so I hear the same people saying that when they went to a restaurant, they're asking, you know, whether or not, um, how do you know whether the fish is fresh? How do you know whether something is farm-raised or um, truly grass-fed? You don't. So when you go to a restaurant and you're eating animal products, most of the time, 
um, you're at the mercy of whoever is preparing them. Um, so as far as cleanliness, where they source from, what they were washed in, um, again, that's all up to the person making things. And when you put your um, health and your immune system at the mercy of somebody at a restaurant, you're, you're taking some big chances. On the other hand, if you're sourcing your organic vegetables and fruit and you're eating them at home, um, or at least in an organic cafe where you're eating fruits and vegetables, you have a better chance. The more processed, the more unknown that you, you get, uh, the more things that are processed, the more likely other things are just to start going into things. So just like the bean salad early on, um, if you're not sure how it should be made, you don't know what to look for or what you don't want things to be in it, you know, what things you don't want to be in it. Um, we try to wait, stay away from seed oils, uh, like to limit omega-6s as much as I possibly can. Um, we need very little as far as um, essential omega-6 oils, so there's no reason to ever take a supplement of an omega-6. If your omega-6s are low, you probably don't have to worry about taking omega-3 because we drip those in from a variety of things, flax, hemp, chia, um, greens, beans. So we drip those in in little bits all through the day, so I don't think that um, that's necessarily a worry either. Um, again, uh, feeding our gut high fiber food that's fresh and organic, um, trying to avoid things that are heavily, uh, or that are treated at all with, um, Roundup or glyphosate. Um, so, or non-organic wheat products are typically all treated with glyphosate, which is harm harmful to our gut microbiome. When you go out, you're not going to get organic pasta. Um, so no matter what kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get what's, what's the cheapest, what's Cisco or what, whatever a big company drops off to, to places. So um, again, uh, the more you can have control of what you eat uh, and, and plan, the better. Um, as far as just starting out, how to get into your zone and get used to things, start simple. Um, but don't eat the same thing all the time. Add variety and add color. If you look at your plate and it's colorful, then chances are it's going to be healthy. Um, you know, eat what's in season, eat what's local. Even if you can't necessarily find organic, if you eat local, maybe farm-raised, uh, you may have a better chance at uh, not heavily pesticided food. Uh, but again, washing your vegetables is a lot easier than um, not having access to everything that that cow or chicken ate uh, throughout its life before uh, it was uh, processed. If you are trying to lose weight, stay away from oils. It adds nine calories per gram. A tablespoon of olive oil is 140 calories. I don't care how great the olive oil is and how many anti-cancer benefits you think it may have. It's still 140 calories, and nobody uses just one tablespoon. Um, so that can add, yeah, oils can add five to 800 calories a day into your, uh, your total calorie intake. And then picking. You know, nobody understood. The reason why all dietary questionnaires are fraught with error is because people grab here, grab there, grab a little bit of this, grab a little bit of that. If you're being very cautious and sticking to a plan, fruits and vegetables, you're most likely to have success. Um, so early on, keep it very, very simple. Don't uh, try to make complicated recipes. Keep things a vegetable, uh, your greens, um, beans, uh, a grain, uh, fruit, you know, did you get chia or hemp? You need one tablespoon. Um, everybody's worried about not getting enough of, we all get too much of. So uh, I hope some of that 
uh, helps out a little bit, uh, helps you pay attention to um, the little sneaky things that come in to trip you up. Plan ahead, you know, don't go out uh, at lunchtime when you know you're going to be hungry and you're going to get yourself in a compromising situation. It puts way too much pressure on. Don't skip meals because then you're very hungry and you're more likely to eat anything that you can grab don't justify saying, I'm just going to have a bite of this or a bite of that or a little sample here or reward myself. Those are things that uniformly get people into trouble. Um, so I'm a big advocate for having breakfast, having lunch, having dinner, uh, making sure that you have your fruit, making sure that you have something to eat that you like enough that you're having an adequate portion so that you're not going to be hungry an hour later and go for something um, else. So people that just eat um, a small salad at lunchtime typically find themselves ravenous at 3 or 4 o'clock and they're more likely to get in trouble. Or they don't eat all day and then they eat all evening. Nuts are not your friend. Um, they're 75 to 80% calories or fat calories. Um, that's 9 calories per gram. A little handful adds up to two or 300 calories. Um, before you know it, your diet's been blown. So... Those are the tips for the day. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you'd like some help from us, help learning the language of menu planning, um, help learning the language of exercise, learning the language to troubleshoot and to get in the zone, we'd love to help you. Go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and learn about our practice. You can email me at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. Um, we do do free consultations to tell you more about the practice. If you're interested, you can call the number on the website. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.